and welcome to TG2 Chat Live, the podcast home of Teachers Going Gradeless. I'm Lisa Wenerth, team member at Teachers Going Gradeless, and in today's episode, I have the honor of engaging in dialogue with lifelong educator and founder of Got Learning, Mike Rutherford. Eight years ago, Mike returned to the classroom as a middle school English and social studies teacher after many years in the education private sector with Blackboard and Just Ask publications and professional development. Prior to his time in the private sector, Mike was a middle school teacher and technology training specialist in Fairfax County Public Schools in Virginia and an ed tech director for the city of Manassas Public Schools, also in Virginia. Mike created Got Learning while he was a classroom teacher in survival mode. The constant barrage of student learning data came from so many disparate sources. He felt as though he was doing more searching than actually providing feedback. Mike currently lives in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania with his educator wife, Elizabeth, and two dogs, Luna and Bella, who are two of Got Learning's four official office dogs. So I wanted to uh, start off our conversation learning a bit more about you um, and your story. Um, And to that end, um, what from your early background or childhood experience with learning or education has led or inspired you to the type of work um, that you're doing today? I would have to say, uh, basically, my mom. My mom was is is a, was a lifelong educator and author, and uh, I mean enough that during her getting when she was getting her master's, I had to take I she administered the Woodcock Johnson test of cognitive abilities to me. I think ten or eleven times, and that was okay. that was literally yeah. when I was four or five, six years old. I think maybe six years old, and all I wanted to do was go outside and play. Um, that didn't stop me from wanting to be an educator. I went ahead and still became an educator because I was always around schools. I love schools uh, as a place of joy and fun. And, mm. um, and I had, I really had some fantastic teachers, including my, my Sandy Lamb, my eighth grade civics teacher, who ended up also being my 11th grade history teacher and, uh, and am still friends with uh, today. Um, she's absolutely fantastic and really is an inspiration to me. And I learned so much from her as being a student. And then also when I went into becoming a teacher, still asking her questions about what I should do and those kind of things really, really helped me. So those were the big things that really wanted me to continue or wanted me to become a teacher. Okay, great. And I think I saw on your website that your mom also has written a book um, that was pretty formative in in some of your the practices that you continue today. Absolutely, she actually fourteen books. Um, wow. she, she was someone who didn't take naps, okay, um, at all, unlike uh, me. And yeah. uh, her one of her she has two of her books are are one was Instruction for All Students, which was really key uh, for me, yeah. which is a, really a great practitioner's guide to uh, you know, teaching in a standards-based classroom with you know, tried and true strategies uh, for teachers. And then she wrote a book called Why Didn't I Learn This in College for Teachers That Are New to the Profession, which I actually got to edit uh, when I went to work for Just Ask Publications, which was my mom's company. Um, okay. So uh, it, that, was, that was fantastic. And she really helped me a lot. And we actually got to do many different workshops and seminars on uh, with teachers that were new to the profession and also uh, other sessions with mentors of new teachers. Um, mm. So, you know, it was such a big deal 20, 20 years ago, and it's a, even a huge deal now um, yeah. about keeping new teachers. So learned a ton from her. She was fantastic. You returned to the classroom. Um, after many years, you went to the private sector, and though it looks like you were still involved in education with um, 
ed tech companies, like you, you mentioned, um, Blackboard. I'm curious about sort of what has drawn you in and out and back in again. And what part of all of that experience do you think has ultimately led you maybe to start um, the company that, that you're working with now or that you started? That's, that's a big question. Um, and it, and it, it's a neat one. It's, it, you're right. A lot, of, a lot of times people don't, they, they leave the classroom and go to companies, but then don't return back to the classroom. I mean, basically what, what, how that whole trajectory started is when I was an ed tech director in uh, the city of Manassas Public Schools, um, it was a really exciting time in ed tech. Uh, we had uh, we had just moved out of using modems to having high speed lines like ISDNs and T1s um, and teachers had, you know, uh, computers in the classroom. We had computer labs and carts of laptops because not every single it wasn't one to one quite by any means. Um, so I, I I knew there needed to be some kind of cool tool out there that that helped teachers and students, you know, do virtual field trips and all those kind of things. We eventually knew. I knew there just had to be something out there. So I, I contacted six companies and got to speak with all of them except one and ended up going to uh, uh, Blackboard and had a uh, had my interview at Blackboard, had a really big disagreement with the CEO as to whether or not the LMS would work in the K-12 space. Hmm. And we parted away. I didn't, I was like, I left, I left a little bit frustrated slash mad. He left a little bit frustrated slash mad and I knew it was done. But two days later they called me and uh, hired me to start the K-12 group and help bring the LMS into the K-12 space. Um, so I was, I've always been around the, the education environment um, and, and wanted to stay in there because I knew that's what I really loved. And so I stayed at Blackboard for three years and eventually went and, and, and jumped over to uh, Just Ask Publications and Professional Development, where I was able to be in sales, marketing, and in the education world all at once. Um, and, and it was an incredible place to still uh, learn about pedagogy. Mm -hmm. And um, did that for many years. Uh, and then had the opportunity, as you mentioned, to go, to go uh, we, we did move to Thailand. My wife is, was an educational consultant and was, and was uh, asked by the International School of Bangkok um, to come be their director of teaching and professional learning. And so we went, I got recertified and went back into the classroom. Um, and that's where I found the problem that Got Learning solves. Uh, and eventually worked on that for many years inside of the classroom uh, with me, other teachers and hundreds of students. And then when we returned back to the, uh, the United States, when my kids had graduated from International School Bangkok, we moved back so we could be closer to family. Um, and started Got Learning when uh, I had returned back in uh, 2020. So for those people who are unfamiliar, who haven't been on your website, um, could, do you want to give us just a quick summary of, of how sort of what the platform is and, and what it can do? Sure. Um, well, Got Learning was uh, designed out of a very strong need to better manage the amazing learning data that, that I was swimming in as a, as a classroom teacher. Literally from a, a, a I, I didn't plan on making this a company. I was just trying to survive as mm -hmm. a teacher who had come into a new kind of environment where students had laptops and access to the internet uh, in, in incredible amounts of data from all over the place. Um, so I started looking for something to, to help me with this and I couldn't find anything. So I built, I built one in my classroom so that I could have one place to capture all the important conversations that I had with my students. Um, I know you're an ELA teacher, so, you know, I, especially with reading and writing, I did a lot of conferring and sitting down and talking with students. And so I wanted to be able to capture those conversations 
um, in one place so that we could always go back and review those. But I also wanted the technology to be efficient so that mm -hmm. I could see, I and the student could see eventually, hope, eventually the student, uh, to see learning over time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as you said before, I wanted an easy way to provide feedback and to see, and I also wanted to be able to see peers' feedback uh, to the student. And because and, I didn't know exactly what kind of feedback the students were getting unless I went and observed the feedback that was being given back and forth. But, you know, you have 25, 26 kids in your class. You have 13 pairs. Can you go see everything that said? Absolutely not. So um, and you still can't I mean, we're, you still can't do that live because you can't record everything that's there. But a lot of time you can record that asynchronously or you could ask them to actually videotape their conversation and you can have it in one place. Um, the other thing I wanted with Got Learning was to help students develop ownership of their learning. Um, so before Got Learning, I, I would actually basically sit down beside the student and take notes about what was being said and the feedback and the direction that was given. And, you know, after that was done, I would walk away with the notebook with those important notes. And so it wasn't me. It was me doing all of the work, not the student. So it ended up being kind of transactional. So I built a platform that mirrors the conversations that you have, the everyday conversations that you have with students that allows you to provide feedback, offer scaffolding, and, and capture learning as it's occurring mm -hmm. um, versus making it a transactional kind of uh, kind of system where I believe the, the I mean, I still use an LMS. I still had an LMS I used for content. Um, and sometimes even put assignments up there and everything else, but just the everyday back and forth stuff and especially the feedback revisions mm -hmm. and all those kind of things I put into Got Learning. One of the questions I have too is um, what mm, there's, there is so much, there's so much information, right. And, and um, that happens during the learning process, so much information that um, students are picking up constantly and we are bound as teachers to miss some of that. Um, mm -hmm. how might, um, sort of a CLS as opposed to an LMS, um, help teachers, um, capture this, capture the data. Um, what is the, what's the significance of it? Why, why do we need to, um, and how do we do it without becoming completely overwhelmed? Right. Yes, I agree. Well, first and foremost is to, we have to get past the idea that, that we, uh, that we should capture all learning data uh, okay. and have all learning data there. That's just, you know, it, it, that's absolutely too much. But providing individualized feedback is, is, is incredibly, it's an incredibly important and hard task. Um, and as I just said, there's no way you can provide feedback on everything to everyone mm -hmm. on, of, of every, every time. I mean, it just, it's just, it's absolutely too much. But using Got Learning, you can, you can capture a running record of your students' learning evidence of the important things that you want to have captured, um, you know, be, but not everything. Uh, I mean, you could try to do everything. It, it, it's, it's definitely a two-way system where the student actually puts, you know, ver the very earlier version one, I did it for, for two days. Version one was me putting everything in. And then I realized I'm doing all the work again and this is really ridiculous and I'm not sleeping and I didn't have time to yeah. eat and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, I didn't, I wasn't able to be a human, not even yeah. an effective teacher. I wasn't being human. Um, and so I realized I needed to make this a two way thing so we can co-create our learning um, where students can, can mm. be a big part of this because they're already putting things in. I mean, think about how many times we said, okay guys, I want you to 
put this into a folder in Google Drive that has said this. Or make sure you go out and get that Flipgrid link and put the Flipgrid link inside your Google Docs so I know where to get it. So I don't have to go out to Flipgrid, search for you, do all these kind of things. Or some of you that are not using Google Docs and you're using Microsoft Word, can you copy that over and drop that? You know, all those kind of things that we had was, was so time consuming that we needed one place, one place to have all of that information in, in, in basically one spot. And uh, but going back to my very initial point is you don't have to provide feedback on everything that's collected um, if a student decides to put it up inside of Got Learning. But what's really, really awesome about this is that you now have their learning evidence over time. So you can go back two or three assignments ago where you may not have given a lot of feedback to where the student didn't need feedback, but you can start seeing trends. Mm -hmm. um, and you can even give feedback on things that were two or three times ago, but you can see how their learning is progressing and you can find out real quickly, oh my gosh, I need to offer scaffolding or I need to provide this feedback right. or I need to reteach all at an individual level. But if you're set up in the traditional LMS or you're set up in when everything's all over the place, it's very difficult to go in and click on, you know, uh, um, you know, Rachel's, you know, Rachel's record and see her record for, you know, what we're working on, whether it's it's free rights or it was in astronomy or something where she was demonstrating her learning. You could see that learning over time and go back and forth. And what's really, really cool is so can the student. Um, what really drove me crazy about when I provided feedback, especially if when, I mean, because sometimes when you're providing individual feedback, it may be five, six, seven minutes that you're spending on one student. Mm -hmm. Write it on a piece of paper, whether it's a math assignment, English assignment, or whatever it may be, and you hand it back to them. And then you ask a middle schooler a week later, pull that feedback out and let's build on top of that. I was having about a 50% success rate with that, right. even though they had notebooks and all those kind of things. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's my, I mean, if you think about it, those are like mini IEPs, you know, on, mm -hmm. on a little tiny, you know, on a little tiny scale, I'm providing individualized feedback, but it's disappearing. It could be in the, the bottom of the, you know, it could be underneath the bus seat. It could be in their, their book bag. It could be in the mm -hmm. recycling bin. It could still be in the desk. could have been on the refrigerator, you know, if the parents grabbed it and slapped it up on the fridge um, or the kid put it on the fridge. All those things, the, the feedback was gone. And I wanted the students to be able to go back and reflect upon that feedback and build. Mm -hmm. One of the things, since you're an English language arts teacher, we would do quick writes. And we would always go back before our next quick write and say, okay, let's go back and look at our last two quick writes. What was the feedback and the peer feedback or feedback you received from, from me and also your reflection on that that you said you were going to work on? Let's mm -hmm. review that for two minutes. Let's do a quick one-minute planning of what you're going to do in this quick write. And then move forward. And it was so awesome. It got away from that transactional nature of I was always going to Aaron and saying, Aaron, did you read back through your quick write to make sure you're using the, quite, the, the correct tenses? And oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. Well, if you do that pre-read, you know, pre-writing, he can sit there and say, OK, I'm going to concentrate today on making sure that I'm staying in the present tense or appropriately staying in the past tense. Um, so th that's what's cool about capturing all that. But it's it is it's not doing all of it yeah. and, and providing feedback on all of it. It's it's when you need to go in and see and, and we've all done this in student concern meetings and all those kind of things where we need to take a deep dive on student data. We'll go and collect all of their data. And that mm -hmm. takes so much time. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to do that? 
like it's Googleable. You know, I know that's not a word, but you know where I'm going with it. <laughs> yeah. You you can you can just sit there and say, I need to see Aaron's last four assignments in order. Boom, side by side. And now you can see their writing where they made the changes, where what were done in revisions, all those things. And you have all that right in front of you is completely transformational because yeah. one, it makes you more efficient as a teacher. It also makes you more effective. And the coolest thing, as I said before, the student can do the same. like, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like um, this idea of triangulated assessment approach, which um, you cite um, both in a blog that you wrote for um, Teachers Going Gradeless. I also saw it on your website, and then I heard you talk about it um, elsewhere. And I think it's Damien Cooper's phrase. Um yes. Has to do with I have his book right here. So. Oh, nice. Okay, perfect. So, and I have not read yet, but um, I, I that, highly recommend. Okay, that's one. Sorry. What is the title? Uh, Rebooting assessment: A practical guide for balancing conversations, performances, and products. So, okay. So that it, will it would be to be honest. I totally interrupted you. I apologize because I got excited no, about this up. But if I was to write a book about the pedagogy of Got Learning, that would be it right there. Okay. So. Well, so. then that's one to go on um, all of our um, reading lists here. So yeah. thanks. Okay, triangulated assessment approach um, and collecting student learning. Can you explain kind of the concept a little bit more for listeners that may not be familiar with it? Well, triangulation, obviously, because of triangulate three three different areas is is one is, is conversations, conversations between students, between students and between students and teachers. Um, and that's one very important part. And that's one of the, you know, Got Learning is one of the first or the first platform to really capture, to try to capture those conversations. Second part of that triangulation is performances. And that is any and all activities in which the students demonstrate one or more competencies, if you will. Um, and that could be as simple as reading a, reading a text uh, out aloud. Um, once again, going back to an ELA example, uh, for you to go and I always found it incredibly hard for me to go to each of my students, which I couldn't do in one class period, go to each of my students and have them read aloud uh, right. from a, a, a passage or text or, the, or their choice book or whatever it may be. But I was able to have them record it and mm -hmm. I was able to have them put it somewhere so that I could eventually go back and see it, especially in, in a just in time uh, kind of construct where I, I would I'd go, let's go check on this student real quick. Let's see what they have. Then I could go in and see it when I needed it, as opposed to having to try to seek the student out later. Um, so those performances could be there. And then the third one, and that does, uh, um, you know, does rely on your observation, which you can record. And the third one is products, which are our traditional artifacts of learning. Mm -hmm. So you have conversations, performances, and products. And mm -hmm. using those as, as your, you know, triangulated of assessment. And you'll notice it didn't say grades in here mm -hmm. or anything else like that. Those can all lead to how you evaluate your student. But I think it's important that you evaluate, uh, you assess your student in, in those three regards so with conversations being the new element of that. Uh, okay. cause I think that is just absolutely so key. Yes. And there you are differentiating evaluation and assessment. Um, and I think 
one, something that you've mentioned, um, I think sort of back and forth in, in our emailing um, was that, you know, during that assessment process that we're constantly giving feedback um, and that you are citing that as, as you call it growth producing feedback. Yes. Um, did you want to speak? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, you know, the growth producing feedback is not my phrase at all. It's, it comes from a, a principle that I, I used to work for named Bruce Oliver. Okay. Uh, where he called it growth producing feedback because, you know, an in, A-plus in or a 78, does the, is, is that timely and actionable, uh, you know, reasonable, all those kind of things? And the, and the answer is it, maybe it's timely, but it doesn't give any actionable, you know, right. instructions to a student. So that that's Bruce's. And, and, and the other key thing is, as you, we mentioned, specific, timely, actionable, reasonable, and, and purposeful and understandable, those are coming straight from, from Grant Wiggins. Uh, and, and Grant Wiggins always said that feedback is yeah. where the learning occurs. And th- that's so true. Feedback is where the learning occurs, whether you're a English teacher, social studies teacher, dance teacher, basketball coach. I mean, you think about all the feedback that we're always giving to, to students is we, we have to be, you know, experts at that. And so, and, and we're effectively the experts in our classroom space. So we, we need to be clear about where we're taking the learners and our feedback helps them examine what they did in light of the, of the goals that we've set and how they need to improve. And I think that that's so important. And they, I found, especially the executive functioning skills of my middle schoolers, is that being able to capture all that in one place and having them to be able to go back and review that mm-hmm. is so key. It was it was absolutely angelic, I would say, when it when I kids could go back and say, oh yeah, I forgot to do this, and that's what my paper said. And I said I was going to do that in my reflection anyway, is so amazing because usually that feedback just disappears um, yeah. along with learning art- artifacts. Um, but if you keep them all in one place, you have access to that, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is absolutely fantastic. So that's why, you know, I, I think feedback is so important. And got learning is, is, is there to help teachers do that. And, and, and we've really gotten to a point with, with got learning. One of our, one of our things, and this is more on the technical side, it's more, actually, it's more on the operational side. Um, I, as a classroom teacher, had an SIS that I had to do eight to nine clicks to get to specific things that I needed to know about a student. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. nine clicks, 135 kids. That's a lot of clicks. Mm-hmm. You know, that's way too many clicks. And it's amazing that the, the mouse on my, on my, or my trackpad on my Mac <laughs> worked after one day because I'm hitting it yeah. 15,000 times. So mm-hmm. we, we've come up with, I came up with, when I first started building Got Learning, is I wanted to get to one click. I wanted to get to one click where everything that I needed was one as close to one click as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and that could be getting, being able to quickly provide feedback to kids through one click uh, mm-hmm. or, or two clicks or whatever it is, but not make it an eight to nine to 10. Because in previous tools that I was using, I would want to go, well, what did I say to that student? Let me go find their other document. And it ended up being another eight or nine, 10 clicks and lots of scrolling but 135 kids again, you're talking thousands of clicks and that's time again. So how can we, how can we set up screens to where everything can be done so much more efficiently, especially when it comes to providing feedback? Mm-hmm. I, I, once again, I did not write this, but uh, yeah. on our website, there's the growth, there's a, on a blog post called growth producing feedback. Yep. Um, and it's, it was, 
it was written before I went back into the classroom again. And I, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I got permission from Bruce to be able to post it here. Um, but inside that, inside the growth, it's one or two pages long. It's not very long, but then there's a, a page of, of feedback that you can go through and judge whether something's growth producing or not. And mm-hmm. it is, cool. it was so helpful for me as a teacher to realize not, okay, teacher, coach, and parent to realize whether or not when I was giving growth producing feedback or I was giving praise or I was giving feedback, but there was no, nothing along with it. You know, it was, it was just, it didn't, it didn't help in any way. And that became really transformative to me uh, when I first read that. And I think that's a great article. That's why I ended up putting up on our website and you'll hear me use the phrase all the time of growth producing feedback. Yeah, I, I did. I had a chance to read through it. Um, and so just for listeners to know, if you go on there, there's also this great analogy of the the GPS metaphor um, that I think likens the the growth producing feedback to GPS. Um, and I loved, I loved how that was kind of constructed and weaved through there. So yeah, Bruce, a great, he's a, he's good educate, great educator and, and a really good writer. Education conversations can lead into sort of these um, darker paths. And, and we've heard so many things about, you know, um, like the collapse of education or, um, you know, especially since the pandemic and, and all the learning loss. And, um, and I think there's definitely, um, there are multiple narratives um, and many of which sort of um, condemn that idea or um, certainly challenge it. Um, and it seems like you kind of are, are, you, you see a lot of hope um, in, in the future of education. Um, so I'd love to just see if you have a story um, that's kind of brought you some joy or hope and where education is today and, and where it may be heading in the future. I mean, there's, there, there are a lot of stories there. One of, the, one of my absolute favorites that just pumps me up still to this day, and, and, it, and, and, and I, I would, I'm going to caveat it by saying, is it, does it, is it the future of education or... The, the future of curiosity by kids, the future, you know, that, that right there, I think if you're still, if we can still instill curiosity into humans, that's, that's super, super important. So the story has to deal with that. And that was, I, I, um, always wanted to be an astronomer. Um, I grew up in, I grew up young as in Florida and got to see the Voyager two launch off in, into space yeah. and everything in, in the, in the 1970s. And always wanted to do that, but really had a hard time with science and mathematics. And I didn't really like science and mathematics in high school as much. So I didn't follow that path, but I came back to it when I went to, uh, I came back to it as I got older and moved to Bangkok and decided to start an astronomy club, um, at the middle school level. And this is very early in the astronomy club. We only had one telescope and that was the one I brought. And little did I know though, I mean, I did kind of know this, but it was really funny as I looked it up and found out that Bangkok was one of the worst five cities in the world for astronomy because of, mm. you know, uh, sea level, uh, humidity in the air, and then also uh, city lights. And so sometimes we would see what we would call two stars. And, and those two stars are really just planets. Um, you see, you may have the moon and you might have two stars. Otherwise, you might not get anything. And so we we kind of got a clear night. We knew there was going to be a clear night coming up that didn't have any clouds and we were hoping it was going to be fine. So we had a, instead of doing it at night, we did it in the morning because that was when we were able to be able to see planets. 
um, as they were coming through. And the students figured out what day would be good, where they where the where the planets would be in the sky, and how it would be clear, and where we needed to be on on campus. So we met at four thirty in the morning, um, which is I think sixteen kids said they were going to come. So of course eight showed up because uh, it's <laughs> yeah, four thirty. Still a lot for four thirty in the morning. Exactly. Well, it's better than me standing there with a cup of coffee by myself, going, "Okay, <laughs> I the, I, I'm I'm here. What do I do now?" Uh, yeah. I, I guess I'm looking at I'm looking at planets. Um, <laughs> it was really cool because we set it up and we we had Saturn and Jupiter um, where it were visible at this time. And we set it up to see Saturn and the first, you know, I, 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 the first kid got it all set up and then this, he goes, I see it. And then he, and he got there and he stood there and he sat there for about 10 seconds. And then he, he basically, he basically, you know, took his, his head out of the lens and just went like, and had the biggest thing of joy on his face of like, Oh my God, Saturn is real. Yeah. It is real. It's not, you know, because you, you look up there and you see a dot, a little light in the sky. But he was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an absolute coolest thing ever. And, and, and that joy was was fantastic. And we grew that we grew that program into a, a massive program where we ended up building radio telescopes with NASA and, and all these things. But these wow. these and, and it ended up being a complete um, a, a, a girl run STEM program at, at, at ISB, which was awesome mm-hmm. uh, in it was just fantastic to see kids just grab it and run with it and, and build and generate and create things in a place where you weren't supposed to be able to do that. And, but we did, we, we overcame. And so that always fires me up about, uh, you know, having students build and generate and create, like letting them, them decide what morning would be best, where, where this night sky would be clearest, where there wouldn't be any storms, where the planets would be viewable at that time. Uh, you know, cause we only have about an hour and 15 minutes at, at four 30 at the time. Um, yeah. so it was really interesting to see that. And that, that to this day still makes me realize I need to empower students to be able to build, generate and create as much as possible. Mike Rutherford has been our guest in this conversation. Thank you for joining us for this episode of TG2 chat live. You can find more great content on our website, teachersgoinggradeless.com, on Twitter at TG2Chat, or on Facebook at Teachers Going Gradeless. If you enjoy this content, please consider supporting our efforts by becoming a TG2 member. Go on patreon.com slash gradeless and choose your level of support. I would like to thank our newest Patreon member, Meg Helms, and all of our members for their gracious support. Thanks for joining us. We hope to see you at our next community gathering in 2023 and for the next installment of TG2 Chat Live.